Welcome to another episode of IBSC Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast in which we engage with the ideas that are shaping the landscape of boys education. I'm Bruce Collins, IBSC Director of Member Engagement, and it's a real privilege to be your host. In today's episode, our guests will be sharing their insights about boys, respectful relations, and responsible sexual citizenship. In a deep dive into these issues and the roles boys' schools play in shaping young men's ideas about themselves and others, we connect with educators and school leaders to hear how they are practically addressing these issues. We also talk to Jada Hall from the One Love Foundation and Dr. Ada Sinecourt from McGill University. We kick off today's discussion by talking to Tracy McKenzie, an English teacher and head of house at St Albans College in South Africa. Boys schools in South Africa came under the spotlight near the end of 2019 as the country became more and more aware of gender-based violence and its particular impact on women and children following some very sad and terrifying incidents. Member schools in South Africa were proactive in their response to these events, many engaging the boys in their care in conversations and proactive programs to educate and empower boys to be better. Tracy, as part of her school's efforts, challenged the St Albans College boys in a powerful chapel talk. I asked Tracy why she felt it was necessary to share what she had with the boys. Gender-based violence is a global issue. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's been seriously heightened in South Africa in the last couple of months. And I just felt that, you know, it, it, it was a call to the boys to, to take action and to make a stand, really. I feel very strongly about it as a woman, obviously. Um, and I'm also a mother to three girls. Um, and I think that, you know, for long enough, girls have been trying to lead these conversations, but I actually think that the time the time has come for men and for boys to understand the positive role that they've got to play in, in stopping violence against women and violence against children. Tracy gave me permission to share snippets of her chapel talk that she shared that day. In the light of this and other similar events that have happened in South Africa, it seemed remiss of me not to take this opportunity to start a conversation. A conversation that, with you boys at the helm, could start a revolution. The time is now. Your time is now. We have had enough. Enough is enough. Despite the best efforts of parents, teachers and friends, these methods of preventing our girls and women from gender-based violence and rape are not working. What is it exactly that we are doing wrong? Personally, I don't believe that a higher police presence, although it wouldn't hurt, is going to change this endemic. I don't think a call for the death penalty is going to change the mind or the actions of the rapist or the murderer. We need more than a silent protest. We need more than a human chain spelling stop. We need more than hashtags. Martin Luther King cites that in the end, what will hurt the most is not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I know that there will be some of you who feel that this is not your issue. Some of you might feel that it doesn't affect you. I mean, you're not sexist, right? Maybe you feel that it's not your problem because it doesn't happen in your family, or even that it's a problem in the townships, not our suburbs. 
you could not be more wrong. Men and boys of St Albans College, this is your problem too. This is a call to you to stand up and speak out, not only against the perpetrators, the men committing these heinous crimes, but against the often subtle objectification of women in your friendship groups. You cannot deny that it happens. When we are tolerant of sexist attitudes, locker room banter, catcalling or rape jokes, we support or excuse more deliberate and violent acts like victim blaming, unwanted sexual touching and ultimately rape. I genuinely believe that so many men care very deeply about these issues. But caring is not enough. We need to have the courage, the strength and the moral integrity to break the complicit silence and challenge each other. Speak out for change. Hold each other accountable. In the same way that you, I would hope, would call someone out for using a racial or homophobic slur, call them out for using a sexist one. Because, as the Archbishop Desmond Tutu says, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. I'm asking you, as your teacher, as a woman, as a daughter, a sister, a mother and a wife, to make a stand against gender-based violence in our country. It is no longer only my problem. It is our problem. And your sisters are calling for your help. Tracy's challenge to the boys at St Albans College reminded me of something Adam Cox mentioned on our very first podcast episode. He expressed the opinion that boys' schools are exactly the places where these conversations need to be taking place. I think that there there are times uh, in the life of groups and organizations where it might be appropriate to think of uh, a paradigm shift taking place. And I think that some of that is happening right now, and it it may be in response to some more kind of popular ideas about what uh, boy schools or even boyhood represents and uh, the need to or, you know, grapple with some of those myths and, and present, uh, in some cases, an alternative narrative about what it is that boy schools are actually accomplishing and, and what's taking place in boyhood as well. So, um, it, in my view, uh, Sherry, one of the main things is to, is to help people understand that what is happening in boys schools is not this more kind of regressive idea that we sometimes hear about, which is like, kind of like what I would call a bubble culture, that uh, boys are living inside this bubble and that they're encouraged to stay inside this bubble because I don't think that's, in fact, what is going on. I think that Mm -hmm. something very different is going on, but we need to demonstrate that. The transgressions that boys make are sometimes, you know, uh, very powerful when they get conveyed by media. And and I I think, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, there's a sense that, you know, if if you think you know what's going on in a boys' school, you pay attention to just those examples of behavior mm-hmm. that reinforce what your belief is rather than the whole of what's going on. And mm-hmm. so my, my strong belief is that those transgressions that do occur are not caused by boys' schools, but in fact, boys' schools are the answer. One such example of a boys' school being the answer is the Boys' Latin School of Maryland. A number of our member schools have partnered with the One Love Foundation to develop programs for their boys that address respectful relations. 
I was able to talk with Chris Post and Megan Kenny about how their programs have developed. Chris, headmaster of Boys Latin, and Megan, director of counseling at the school, share some wonderful insights and principles about the work they are doing with boys. We started the conversation with Chris reflecting on how important it is to engage with boys about respectful relations and responsible sexual citizenship. You know, Bruce, I, I think uh, raising boys, teaching boys, and forming young men has never been more important. Um, part of our work focuses on the development of healthy relationships uh, throughout our school K-12, through uh, within the school community and outside of it as well. Um, we don't believe that boys will be boys. Instead, we believe that boys will be men, young men of courage, compassion, and integrity. And it's our job to help them get there. So when I think about um, our work in helping boys to form enduring personal relationships, uh, it comes back to our values. Uh, we want boys to act with compassion and with integrity uh, in their own work and in their decision-making and in their relationships. We want boys to be courageous and we want boys to lead. Of course, relationships are at the core of all of that. I asked Chris to elaborate a little on why these conversations have been a key focus for Boys Latin. It, you know, it has been a key focus, but it's been a key focus of our school for a long time. Uh, this, this is not something which has been done in reaction to external forces. Instead, it's central to our mission, dating back to our founding in 1844. Um, specifically, in our most recent strategic plan, we identified uh, finding ways to further advance our character development programs, our health and wellness programs uh, for, you know, again, helping boys to form good and healthy relationships. And so it's really come out of, of that strategic work as an institution, recognizing that uh, out of good and healthy relationships comes success in the classroom, outside the classroom, and life beyond. Uh, and, and so we were introduced, I think, to the One Love Foundation from there. Later in this episode, we will hear from Ojeda Hall, the Maryland Regional Executive Director for One Love. But before we do, I asked Megan Kenny to talk about their partnership with One Love. So um, really, as Chris had mentioned, we were looking at our strategic plan to launch our health and wellness in, in 2014. And that's really when we would say our official inception of our relationship with One Love came to be. Um, I was approached by two of our students who were sophomores at the time, who had already been doing some outside work, volunteering at various events with One Love. Um, they knew that I was already involved with the foundation prior to working at Boys Latin. So um, the boys had an idea and an energy and a positive um, passion to bring these conversations and this work to our community. I was super impressed with the boys' willingness to embark in this partnership. Um, so it was in the fall of 2014 when we officially launched our One Love Club, and we're really proud to say that we're the first um, One Love Club to um, come into existence in high schools. What is really striking for me is that this initiative was birthed by your boys. You know, these boys had a passion for something, and I think that we created the space and the platform platform for them to take it and run with it. Um, we've had that engagement from the boys right out of the gate. So I think that has only helped our program to grow and evolve. 
While Chris has already given a headmaster's perspective on the importance of this work, I was eager for Megan to share her insights from the perspective of a school's counselling team about why work focusing on respectful relations is so important in boys' schools. As Chris said, we've been around for 175 years, and first and foremost, we're a school. So we know that um, we are confident that our boys leave here and they are we are sending them out into the world um, fulfilling all academic all academic areas. But one of the things that we've always valued here is deep personal relationships. And that's really at the foundation of the work that we do with One Love and with our boys around healthy relationships. Um, we want our boys to be prepared when they leave here for the world from a social and emotional standpoint. Um, you know, we talk a lot in counseling about meeting our students where they are, and I think that's exactly what we do with this work. We meet our boys where they are and um, assess how, how ready they are to engage in the conversations. We, um, our boys are not afraid to lean in and, and have some challenging conversations and, and talk about ways that as young men, how can they be active participants in healthy relationships? Um, I think for us, from a counseling standpoint, and also just from a school, the work that we do with the boys and with One Love directly is really quite empowering for our boys. We work with the boys around not only self-advocacy, but how to advocate for a friend. Um, we talk with them about how to safely intervene, how to be proactive bystanders. You know, if they do see something, how do they speak up? How do they say something? How can we help our boys be ambassadors for change? Um, and all of this speaks, as Chris had mentioned earlier, directly to our, our core values of our mission. You know. Um, helping build men of courage, compassion, and integrity. For the benefit of other boys' schools, I asked Megan to also share what the programs they have implemented look like. I'm sure that other schools can learn from the programs that Boys Latin have developed in partnership with One Love. We can kind of look at it in two different tiers, if you will. Um, we do have our club, and that is in the upper school only, and we're really proud to say that this year we have about 45 boys in our club. And what that consists of is we have weekly meetings, and our meetings are set up and designed to have small group discussion. Um, at the beginning of the year, we start um, educating the boys so that they have the information to go out and educate our community. Um, we have folks from One Love come in and talk with our boys about some of their current campaigns, some of the current work that they're doing, because it is important for us to make sure that we are staying up to date with what's happening and what One Love is doing. Um, we also have opportunities for the boys outside of the club, outside of the school, to volunteer at various events. Um, through the club, we also try and do fundraisers and different events on campus. You know, we have a bake sale, but you know, while we raise funds, we're also sharing important facts about healthy and unhealthy relationships. Um, we also train our upperclassmen in our club to be small group facilitators for a workshop that is hosted by One Love called the Escalation Workshop. And that is something that we have programmatically put in place here um, for all juniors. Every year, our juniors will participate in this program. Um, so that kind of is an over, overflow from the club into our, our, uh, into our programmatic uh, pieces of the school. Um, we also take, take what we know in the club and we extend it into the month of February, which is uh, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Our, our club members put together various activities and events and small group discussions and prompts for our greater community in the upper school. Um, you know, we try and do a healthy event around Valentine's Day where we partner with surrounding schools sending healthy Valentines with, again, important information, up-to-date and current statistics. So that's a lot of where we come from with the club and all of our work comes to comes together at the end of the year where we have dedicated one full day for our entire school, grades K through 12, for what we've, we've named One Laker, One Love. And this year will be our sixth annual day. And this is 
this is a day that we're really proud of. Um, it's a day that, that we've been you know, full support from administration to set academics aside and create age-appropriate conversations and activities with all of our boys about how they can be, um, how, how they can engage in healthy relationships. How can they be um, healthy problem solvers? How can they be um, collaborative young men working with one another? Um, so, so all of that comes to, comes to be um, in the spring um, each year, which we're really excited about. And certainly to add on that, our programmatically, um, as Chris had said earlier, you know, implementing from a counseling perspective through our lower and middle and upper schools, um, our character education is interwoven in all that we do. Um, in our lower school, we're teaching the boys empathy and how to be healthy problem solvers through um, a program where we identify healthy values that they focus on in the classroom throughout each month, um, ranging from compassion, honesty to healthy relationships. Um, and then in the middle school, the boys are a little more mature and, and ready to have some more um, in-depth conversations around decision-making, um, goal-setting, um, stress management, healthy relationships, what that looks like, identifying healthy behaviors. Um, and then when, when they come up to the upper school, we have uh, a program, our advisory program, which then feeds into our sophomore seminar program, which really is a program that is created to talk about some of the social emotional issues outside of academics um, so that we can prepare the boys for when they leave boys latin and enter an exciting but yet very challenging world it seems essential then in speaking to chris that it is of paramount importance that this is not work that is seen as an addendum to school life but that it connects deeply to and flows out of the values boys schools espouse chris had some interesting insights to share on this yeah, Bruce, I'd add that I, I think if you go back to the work of the school strategically in, in that plan from 2014, it's in, it's in recognition of a comprehensive approach to the social and emotional well-being and growth of, of a boy in, in helping him develop as a young man. Um, and that starts in kindergarten uh, and it goes all the way through the, the boy's last days here as students. Um, and then with that, uh, to come back to something that Megan said, we had boys come forward who, who believed so strongly in this and, and had a sense of trust in the institution that they were empowered to take the right kinds of risks to be able to uh, offer to begin this work. Um, and, and it has been incredibly meaningful for our school. Um, I also think it's a testament to the culture of the institution that boys felt empowered uh, to take those steps. And really, that's what it's all about for us as a school. In closing, I asked Chris and Megan to share some advice for schools, particularly those who are just embarking on this journey of facilitating conversations about respectful relations and responsible sexual citizenship. Yes, yeah, so, so I think there are probably there are two ways to look at it. One is, is programmatically, and I'll let, I'll let Megan answer that, and then I've got some, some broader institutional thoughts. Um, I think one of the one of the things that we would suggest is for for schools to start early, start with their youngest learners, you know, to weave this through your curriculum in the classrooms, on the fields, on the stage, wherever you can, um, because again, we take the the approach to the whole boy. So starting early, um, this isn't something you can just reserve for the upper school students, and certainly not for your upperclassmen only. Um, student engagement is also really important. Um, getting boys excited about having these conversations is really important. Um, in, in my experience, I can say that boys are very willing to have these conversations. I think we just need to invite them into the conversations. And by doing that, 
I think we will see that um, they're willing to learn and they're willing to to go out and be ambassadors for change. And, and I think that's really, really important. Um, the other thing is too, One Love is a great organization. I would encourage schools to re reach out to the One Love Foundation directly. They have a wealth of knowledge on their website. There are a ton of resources, a lot of helpful current information. Um, so certainly schools can start there as well. And, and I think with that in mind, Bruce, the, the uh, film escalation that One Love produces, which is geared towards essentially sophomores or juniors in high school, is probably the easiest way for a school that doesn't have any experience with this work and with the One Love Foundation to tap in. Um, it, it is powerful, it is really challenging, uh, and it fosters, I think, some, some very, very good discussion with some tangible outcomes uh, for boys and, and, and for adults as well. I, I will say, I, I come back to what I said at the beginning, that I think the time has never been more important for us uh, to focus on the education of boys and the formation of young men. Um, for schools to act with, uh, with their own sense of courage and integrity around these issues and helping boys to have hard discussions uh, to understand how to foster healthy, enduring personal relationships is, uh, is, is primary to our work as boys schools today uh, and well into the future. One Love is on a mission to change the fact that we are taught very little about love, one of the most important things in our lives. They educate young people about healthy and unhealthy relationships, empowering them to identify and avoid abuse and learn how to love better. You can read more about the work of One Love by clicking on the link in our episode notes. Our next guest is Ojeda Hall. Ojeda Hall leads One Love's Maryland division and is responsible for the expansion of One Love's partnerships and programming in that region. Under her leadership, the organization has initiated a formal partnership with Baltimore City Schools and has enriched its video content with diverse stories and storytellers from the Baltimore community. She brings over 15 years of experience as a community organizer in the civic sector. I asked Ojeda to reflect on why this work is important for boys in particular. Boys are asking for help on this issue. What we know is that one in three men will be in an abusive relationship in their lifetime, but there's so much taboo and stigma around relationship violence that men in particular and boys as they're learning and growing are much less likely to ask for help. Boys need and deserve um, and want um, healthy relationship education. We started One Love out of tragedy, um, but we have made it, um, we have done great job in lifting up the legacy of Yardley Love and her family uh, by providing these 10 signs and providing these um, this sort of first aid kit of resources to help people in, inside of relationships. Next, Ojeda gives us some insights into what the work that One Love does with partner schools looks like. We tend to um, connect with a uh, champion in the school. So you need someone who's really a champion, who really believes that by doing this work, we're going to create a generation of young people 
that will really um, become great, uh, you know, advocates and ambassadors for healthy relationships. So I think, you know, can't say enough about having a champion in the space. And then that frees us up and enables us to recruit students who are trained by One Love to be facilitators and can lead workshop discussions in each of their grades. So our um, great contribution to this work, uh, we have many, but I think among the greatest is we've got language. It's almost like the, the babble or Rosetta Stone of relationship health. There are 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship and 10 signs of a healthy relationship. And then we do what we think is necessary to communicate with young people in this day and age that we live in, which is we serve it to them in video form. So we use social media. Um, we've got 30 plus pieces of video content. And so when One Love works with the school, we suggest um, a menu, if you will, of uh, five or six pieces or seven pieces of our content starting from eighth to 12th grade. And we scaffold in that curriculum so the entire student body can engage with One Love every year and build upon their knowledge of the 10 signs, but not just the 10 signs, uh, social media culture and how it impacts relationships, um, how to start the conversation with a friend, how to um, have a good breakup, how to have uh, healthy, have good safety plans if you're in a breakup, and how to do and talk about consent and understand consent. I also asked Ajeda to highlight how schools can link up with One Loves programs. They just have to reach out to us at um, www.joinonelove.org. We have regional offices like mine in Baltimore in six other or in five other regions, including um, San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, New York, and Jacksonville. But you don't have to have uh, be in a place where there's a regional office. If you just contact us via our website, we are really skilled at bringing schools along in this work and adapting our programs to fit the needs of your students. So we're encouraging young people to start One Club, One Love Clubs at their schools and, um, and help as students to educate their peers um, about relationship health. And it's really helpful for us to work with um, adult advocates, the health and wellness teachers use our videos and curriculum in their classrooms. And we've been doing a lot of work with parents lately as well to educate um, their, to educate parents on what we're showing their students so that they can have the conversation. I remember a great moment when I went into a local restaurant and we had just trained um, students actually at a local college. And the mom said, oh my gosh, you guys are one love. My, my daughter came home and we had our first ever conversation about healthy and unhealthy relationships. So being able to educate the students along with the parents, the teachers who, you know, teachers come to school uh, and they, of course, they're in relationships as well. And being able to help them as they help students, I think creates a whole ecosystem where our boys will be um, ready to, to go into society. And many times in our boys' schools, many of the boys have not been around girls until they've had mixers or, or proms or parties, but um, they need to be ready for the social aspect of college, and many of them are starting relationships on Snapchat and Tinder, 
and they need to know when not to start a relationship, if they do, how to break up, break up respectfully if, if they need to, how to deal with rejection, how to handle um, consent, you know, how do they gain consent. So even to have a platonic relationship and just be a good friend, um, I love that we're talking to boys' schools because boys can, can speak up um, in a way that maybe they might at times shrink to the background in co-ed spaces. So, um, you know, we're excited to get, to get more boys who's involved in our work. Despite being based in the United States, One Love's work and programs have a global reach. IBSC schools all over the world are able to be part of One Love's initiatives. We are international, so just jumping on our website will give you access to all of our tools, all of our video content is on our website, so you can scroll through and pick um, something from our library that is in line with what you want to teach. You'll learn the 10 signs. Again, what One Love thinks, what we're doing, what we do well, is we give people the language to talk about what's happening inside of their relationships, both on the healthy and unhealthy side. And we try to give people the equivalent of a first aid kit. And all of those resources are available online. Um, and so we encourage our friends internationally to go to our website and um, just feast on what's available. The most recent global research project commissioned by the IBSC was conducted by Ada Sinekor, a professor at McGill University. The study, entitled Responsible Sexual Citizenship in Today's World, The Challenges Confronting Boys, had a twofold focus. The first of these was to seek to learn from students what information they have related to responsible sexual citizenship, where they are getting this information, and whether or not the information they have is accurate. Secondly, the aim was to learn from parents and school personnel how information about responsible sexual citizenship is provided to the students. Ada's report will be available to IBSC member schools soon and her findings and insights will be useful and applicable. We use this opportunity, however, to ask Ada to share some practical insights from the research. However, before asking Ada to talk through some of the practical advice she has for teachers to engage boys in programs focused on responsible sexual citizenship, we thought a good point of departure would be to talk about how she defines sexual citizenship for the purposes of this research. So we use the term sexual citizenship because citizenship is equated with borders. And what we're trying to do is bring those individuals who might be on the borders of these discussions, like gender and sexual minorities to the center. Um, so they get access to the same kind of privileges in education that heterosexual people get when we talk about sexuality and education. Citizenship also implies social responsibility to a community and a society um, through participating in sexually, social, socially and sexually responsible behavior. So that's why the term citizenship um, matters. As far as um, the study, I mean, the goal of this study was really to collect some baseline data um, in order to really understand where students were at in terms of their beliefs and knowledge about these topics and their attitudes, and actually also to learn from parents and school personnel um, what their perceptions were about 
what was happening in schools around these topics and how much information that students had around the topics. And the topics we covered were sexual health, things like puberty and STIs, gender diversity and sexuality, consent, healthy relationships, digital responsibility, media literacy, where the students were getting their information and what the school climate was like around these different kinds of um, issues. The thing that excites us most at the IBSC about Ada's research is how she's distilled the insights garnered from the data into practical and implementable advice for teachers and schools. I asked Ada to give us some insights into what her suggestions are for boys' schools and teachers of boys. That's, that's interesting because one of the things I call this study the glass is half full, the glass is half empty study. Um, because there were things that they kind of knew a little bit, um, and the little bit they knew, they got right, but there was a lot they, they didn't know. So, I mean, with regard to kind of sexual health, the, the, the students really need more information about birth control, pregnancy, um, STIs, and those kinds of things. Um, and so I think that's important for us to be thinking about where we can get that into the curriculum. A very low percentage of, um, of, of respondents endorsed uh, gender stereotypes, heteronormative or sexist attitudes. Um, so that was very interesting. So where, um, and when we looked at the idea of sex, more sex means more popularity, um, very few students were endorsing that too, like only like in like around the 30, 30%. But however, when it came to heterosexuality, they strongly endorsed that heterosexuality was more natural than same-sex attraction. So while they're not endorsing the stereotypes, their personal beliefs may be um, uh, about those stereotypes. Um, and so one of the things that I thought was very interesting was when we asked them if my friend came out as gay, what would they do? And about 42% said, you know, uh, they'd be fine with it. Um, and a very low percentage said they they wouldn't be fine with it. But most of the, 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 the similar percentage then accepted where this kind of attitude was like it was kind of indifferent. Now, this theme of indifference came up across a number of themes, right? So not just the gay theme, but this theme of indifference also came up when we asked them if um, if in cyberbullying, if they, if they were aware of cyberbullying, would they intervene? Um, and and they they said 25%. They said no, they wouldn't intervene. So this theme of non-intervention of indifference came up across a number of themes. So one of the things that I think it's important to consider is how to teach students to be upstanders versus bystanders. How to teach them how to intervene um, and what what they can say and what they can do. It's interesting because when a person comes out. Um, a gay person comes out, that kind of indifference or non-response um, can oftentimes be experienced as homophobic versus what the students are trying. The theme we saw was that they were just kind of um, didn't want to make a big deal of it, where it can be interpreted as a lack of support. So one of the things that teachers could be aware of when they're talking about these kinds of topics is how can the students, what kind of actions can the students 
take to be make a, an environment that's more supportive, where they feel like they can say something, they can intervene and have those conversations. Um, I thought that was a very interesting thing that came up in the data. The other, the other thing that came up in the data, which I also thought was very interesting, was when we talked about consent. And one of the things is that consent is complicated, right? It needs to be freely given, it needs to be reversible, it needs to be informed, it needs to be enthusiastic, it needs to be specific. So when we asked them about the components of consent, they were not able to um, understand what these components were. We didn't. And when we asked them to decode scenarios, they were only using the presence of yes or no as as the indicator of whether or not there was consent in the, in the scenario, um, which was very interesting. Um, and so and, and is insufficient in terms of getting at consent. When alcohol was added to the scenario, their ability to correctly identify the presence or absence of consent significantly went down. So they don't understand what the role of alcohol is in consent as well. So we think it's important to, to know that while they thought consent was something they had to do, um, they don't really understand the complexity of it or the nuances of it. Um, and they actually kind of reported that boys have greater responsibility to ask for consent um, than girls. Um, and so they didn't have this idea that they had to give consent as well. So the idea that consent is interactive, an interaction between two people that's ongoing, um, they didn't really understand that. It was kind of, some of them thought it was like this one-time thing. They said it was pain, it was a pain, it was awkward. And so I think that, you know, one of the things uh, teachers might be thinking about is like starting these consent discussions as early as kindergarten, not necessarily, not about sexual consent, but about consent in everyday life so that they can see and evolve and grow to where they get to the point that we're talking about sexual consent. They actually have the skills to do it and they can learn about how to do it in an interaction way, interactive way versus um, this kind of unidirectional way. Um, and I think that, that that would be an important thing to do. And I would suggest starting that in, in grade five. Um, for example, you know, um, there's a really great exercise in, in kindergarten at age five. In this great exercise that you can do as terms of greetings, like when somebody greets you, how do you give consent? Um, we, we do an exercise um, about handshakes, consent using handshakes as a way to understand consent. Um, and then practice the five components with them over the course of the year. So when you get into grade six or five or six, when you start talking about sexuality and sexual consent, they can translate what they've learned in earlier years to, an, to a sexual encounter or a romantic encounter or a sexual activity. Um, so, um, so that I thought was very interesting and this kind of this, the role of alcohol that I thought was very interesting. Um, the other thing that I thought, um, topic we talked about was healthy and unhealthy relationships. And this is where the students had a lot of trouble. They had a lot of trouble being able to understand if a relationship was healthy or unhealthy, what were appropriate boundaries, 
how to participate in conflict resolution. Um, these were things they really struggled with. And again, we used, um, in all the sections, we used closed-ended questions, but we also used scenarios to try to get at what they were thinking. So what's unusual about this study is it's not, we've nuanced it to see well, where the gaps are, right? Uh, and it seems to me that the gaps are in the areas around boundaries and, and conflict resolution. Um, and, and that came out also when we talked about the cyberbullying stuff, the cyberbullying scenarios. They really had a hard time knowing whether or not cyberbullying was present. Um, and a very low percentage were able to actually correctly identify that there was cyberbullying. Um, uh, present in the scenario. So when you when you compare it across themes, what you're seeing in cyberbullying, what you're seeing in consent, and what you're seeing in relationships is that they're having a hard time understanding what the kind of the boundaries are, what what where friendly banter starts and friendly banter ends, um, where um, personal boundaries start and personal boundaries end. Um, and those kinds of things. So a lot of the people, the students who got the cyberbullying um, scenario wrong talked and said, well, it was just friendly banter. You know, they're friends. If you're friends, it can't be cyberbullying. Um, so the, when you look at the consent results, well, you know, they, they knew each other before. So, this, so there must be consent because they knew each other before. Um, so with the healthy relationship, oh, well, um, you know, they, they've, been, they've been dating, so they don't need to have boundaries. So we, we see this kind of theme throughout about how do you decode different scenarios between people um, so that they understand what those boundaries are um, within each of these topic areas and across these topic areas. So if I was going to kind of give you a way in on this a little bit, we, I don't think anybody should be discouraged by what we learned in this study, you know, even though we would hope that the students would be better informed, that they would be better able to do these things. What I did was I compared the findings in this study with the findings in other research done on these topic areas and the findings in this study were pretty consistent with the findings in other studies, which leads me to the belief that this isn't a problem or a function of being in a boys' school. This is a, this is a function of being in a society that um, sexualizes children, that, uh, that has internet and swipe right and swipe left. And so what we're seeing here are the challenges that all schools are facing. Um, but we have a particular set of data that's about the challenges that these boys in this study are facing. So I think that's important for people to know. Um, and then I also think the things that teachers need to think about, again, the bystander effect was a really important thing for teachers to think about, that they don't see themselves as people who can or should or want to intervene. Um, but that was a very important thing to help students learn how to do that um, as far as kind of things like gender and sexuality. Uh, the students in this study seem to be more open to gender and sexual diversity than we would see 
we see in the extent literature. However, they have a lack of understanding about how to support their gay peers. They seem to have negative attitudes towards trans students. They strongly endorsed male stereotypes, so the kind of the toxic masculinity stuff, they kind of endorse those, although there was a fairly low endorsement of sexism. So I think that's something schools need to think about. I know teachers are working on um, uh, dealing with issues around masculinity, um, but masculinity always gets connected to, also gets connected to hegemonically linked to things like assuming people are gay. And so having those conversations in conjunction with each other um, is important. And then, you know, the consent. I, I think we need to start talking about consent um, at a very young age. Um, they recognize the need for consent, um, but they don't really understand that it's an interactive event. What was interesting, too, is they strongly endorsed rape myths. And there isn't a lot of research on adolescents and rape myths. So, but the, their endorsement of rape myths was consistent with what happens with university studies. So if we can help them decode these myths before they get to university, we'll better equip them for university. Um, and then when you compare the relationship research with what we learned from healthy relationship, the relationship research focuses predominantly on violence in adolescents' relationships. However, we, what I really believe that we learned in this study is that we need to help the students understand healthy relationships, not just, not just abusive relationships, but what are the components of a healthy relationship? What are the proper boundaries? Um, how can we establish those boundaries? And how can we work so that we can be good, citizenship, good citizens in terms of being socially responsible to ourselves? and to the other members of the community when it comes to relationships. Listening to our guests, a number of principles stand out as common threads in all these conversations. Firstly, I believe that creating a positive school culture that facilitates positive dialogue is important. Also, schools, teachers and school leaders need to be intentional about establishing programs that initiate conversations, particularly about relationships and sexual citizenship. It is important too to create or join programs that make these conversations easier for the boys in our care. Next, empowering boys to lead is an important part of this process and relationships are also key. Seek to invite boys into these conversations. We should also have high expectations of boys and be positive role models in this regard. Lastly, another thing that I learnt was that this work needs to be an integral part of the school's strategy and vision. Certainly plenty of food for thought in this episode. We are grateful to Tracy, Chris, Megan, Ojeda and Ada for their insights and expertise. This conversation is certainly an important one and we would love to hear from you about the programs you are running in your schools. Please do send a voice note via WhatsApp to me on plus two seven seven one eight nine one one eight nine eight if you'd like to contribute to the conversation. Alternatively, you can email a voice note to collins at the ibsc.org. Before I sign off today, I'd just like to remind you of the IBSC Annual Conference, which will be held in Barcelona in July, 
it'll be hosted by Viaro School. There is more information on our website, but be sure to sign up before the early bird rate closes. Lastly, we are grateful to you, our IBSC listeners, for making a difference in the lives of boys and in boys' schools. Until next time, goodbye.